Our scripture reading today is from the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 6 through 12. Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. 6 through 12. And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen, that great city is fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast, and his statue, and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands, and maintaining their faith in Jesus. We are thankful to have Doug Burrell with us this morning, and he's going to bring our message to us. Welcome, Doug, and we do miss Julie. Well, thank you. She must be there. They ever told you that? I'm telling you, you're awesome. Hmm? Oh, maybe move the flowers, yeah. Thank you, Edna. You're awesome as well. Everybody's awesome. Happy Sabbath. Good morning. Um, Julie said to send her love. She was ill today and wasn't able to make it. Um, before we start in, I'd like to um, invite the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this Sabbath day, Lord. We thank you that you're a God that loves us so much that you carved this day out of time. You want us to come together as your children here in your house. Father, before we open up your word, we're praying for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to lead and to guide. Father, we pray for a legion of holy angels to stand post around this house and around your children and protect from any evil influences that may try to invade. Father, as we enter your throne room, we pray that our worship service brings you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, good. We're up. Now, when I started to put together this sermon, a thought came to me. A thought came to me about marketing. 
Many of you know I have been, I had been a salesman for many years, and sales and marketing kind of goes hand in hand, right? And I started thinking about advertising, and we talked a little bit about advertising this morning in Sabbath school class. But what is the best form of advertising? Word of mouth. Word of mouth is the best form of advertising. You can't, if you own a business, you can't buy that advertising. You just can't. When people tell other people about a good deal they got or, or what a great service they received from a company, you can't pay for that kind of advertising. You just can't. Why? I mean, think about paid advertising for a minute. Radio, TV, newspapers, the Internet. Those are effective, obviously, or they wouldn't do it, right? But the word of mouth. When one person tells another person about a good deal, well, first of all, it comes with some credibility, okay? Because generally, you're telling somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, you know, hey, I just got a great deal on these snow tires down the street at whatever garage. You need snow tires? Oh, man, you should go see this guy down here. He treated me so good. Look at the snow tires I got, and you wouldn't believe the deal I got on them. Right? That comes with a lot of credibility because you're talking to somebody that you know, somebody that you trust, and somebody that you care about and cares about you. Right? I mean, you generally don't walk down the street and say, hey, I just got a great deal on this new suit jacket down at the thrift store to a stranger. You don't say it to a stranger, right? It's, it comes from knowing one another. And we love to share our good fortune. We really do. I'm a thrift store shopper, okay? And I love it when I find a new bargain, okay? I just love it. I go to Savers in Portsmouth, and I highly recommend it, okay? I mean, yeah, when you're down there. But there's thrift stores around here, too. I love thrift stores because you find some treasures, right? And so if I send you to Savers, you know, you're going on my recommendation. And see, when we receive good fortune, we love to share it. You get a new car, and you just kind of hope that your friends and your coworkers will notice. So you can say, oh, yeah, I did get that new car. Yeah, thanks for noticing Oh, yeah. Oh, you wouldn't believe the deal I got on that. Man, I talked that salesman down. Let me tell you, I taught him how to negotiate. I got a great deal. Oh, you need a new car? Go down and see this guy. Tell him Doug sent you. Right? We love doing that. Because we want to share good fortune with other people. But I notice that sometimes we hesitate. We have the greatest thing in all the world. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes we'll hesitate in sharing that. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm talking about me. Sometimes I hesitate to share. So I think to myself, why? Why? Here's the greatest joy 
I've ever experienced in my life is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Why would I hesitate to share that with I have no problem telling you, you know, where to get your transmission fixed. I have no problem telling you where to get a good book. But why do I hesitate to share Jesus? Maybe we fall into the trap of, well, the two things you're never supposed to speak about in public, politics and religion, right? Well, I promise you, you're not going to get any politics here. I think we had enough of that at family gatherings and, and on social media, right? But why can't we share our faith? Why can't we tell people about Jesus? Why do we hesitate? You know, God puts what are called divine appointments in your path. He puts them every day. It's people, you're on a collision course every day with somebody that God wants you to share with. The question is, do we recognize those? And if we recognize them, do we act on them? It's no coincidence that a person at work says to you, hey, how are you doing today? And you had a perfect opportunity to say, I am so blessed. I am just so blessed. It's no coincidence that the clerk at the grocery store was super nice to you today and was open and was kind of chatty with you. And you had an opportunity to, at the very least, say, God bless you. It's no coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences with God. It just doesn't happen. God will put these appointments in your path. But as I said, do we recognize them and do we act on the opportunity? Now, reality is <coughs> probably everybody has missed opportunities, right? Me included. I'm pointing fingers at me. Now, I could ask 10 different people why. Why didn't we act on those opportunities? I could ask 10 people, and I'd probably get 12 answers. Right? I mean, everybody has a reason why we didn't do it. Now, did you notice the title of my sermon? How about those socks? Let me tell you where the inspiration of that sermon title came from. It came out of all places in the men's locker room at my gym. It had to come from the men's locker room because I can't go in the ladies' locker room. But I started formulating this sermon last summer in my head. God started giving it to me. One day, after a workout, a little time in the hot tub, shower, I'm getting dressed, getting ready for work. And I'm in the locker room getting dressed. And I overhear two gentlemen in the next row of lockers. And they start up a conversation. One of them says to the other one, says, Hey, how about those socks, huh? Now, I have to confess. I don't watch baseball. Okay? I know who the Red Sox are. But I don't watch them. So I don't really know how they did this season. I know at that point they must have been doing pretty good. Because these two guys were so excited. 
How about those Sox, huh? And they get right into a big conversation about how well the Red Sox were doing at that particular time. And a thought occurred to me as I'm getting dressed. Wouldn't it be awesome if they were that excited about Jesus? Wouldn't it be awesome if one of them came up to the other guy and said, Hey, how about that Jesus, huh? Boy, he sure saved a wretch like me. How about that Jesus? Oh, man, I can't, I can't even fathom his love for us. But then conviction hit my heart. <coughs> Excuse me. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, how are they going to be excited about me if they don't know me? And whose job is it to share me with them? my job I have divine appointments in the, in the gym I talk with people all day long have I shared Jesus no how can these guys how can I sit here and say boy wouldn't it be great if they were excited about Jesus when it's my job to teach them about Jesus since that day last summer in my prayers every day, I pray for divine appointments. Lord, please put these divine appointments in my path. And Lord, please give me the discernment to recognize them. And then, Lord, please give me the holy boldness to act on them. That's my prayer every day. So how about those socks, huh? But why don't we act on these appointments? Why do we let them slip away? Jesus said if we don't declare him, the rocks are going to cry out. It's God is going to be declared in this world. He's going to be. Do you want to be part of that? I do. I so want to be part of his work. I really do. Perhaps we don't feel we're qualified. First of all, Give yourselves a little bit of credit. You know more about the Bible than you might think you do. You really do. Go to Sabbath school. You will learn about the Bible, let me tell you. But Jesus just said go. He didn't say go when you feel qualified. Go when you feel good. Go when the Red Sox are not on TV. He just said go. You don't need to be a theologian to share Jesus. In fact, you don't need a seminary degree to share Jesus. And people say, well, I'm scared. What if they ask me this question? What if they ask me that question? I don't know the answers to these questions. First of all, my advice, just share who Jesus Christ is to you. Share what you what a relationship with Christ means to you. Because you know what? Nobody can argue that. They can argue theology. They can argue the Sabbath. They can argue the state of the dead. They can even argue the health message if they want. But they can't argue who Jesus Christ is to you. That's personal. Nobody can argue with that. 
And then I think, well, I mean, let's just be honest. Maybe it breaks down that we're afraid, right? I mean, can we all be honest, right? We all get afraid, right, for whatever reason. But Jesus promised us in Matthew 28 that he's with us till the end of the world. He's with us always. That's a promise. You see, when you pray, God will send an army of angels down to protect you and guide you. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the key to our relationship with Christ. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. And starting in verse 8, we see that the king of Syria is making war against the king of, of Israel. But the king of Israel keeps getting warned about the attacks. You see, there's a prophet in Israel. Elisha keeps telling him about the attacks coming. So the king of Syria is upset. And he sends spies into Israel to find this prophet. And they find out where he lives. So the king of Syria sends his army and surrounds the town and surrounds Elijah's home. One morning, Elijah's servant wakes up, gets out of bed, wants to step outside for a little fresh air. Oh, maybe rubbing his eyes a little bit. And he looks up. And he sees the Syrian army all around him. Chariots and horses. Soldiers. Creeps back into the house. Goes up to Elijah. Master, master, they're surrounding us. They're all over the place. What are we going to do? What Elijah say to him? Don't worry. Those that are with us are greater than those that are against us. Master, maybe you haven't taken a look outside yet, but those, that's a big army out there. What does Elijah do? He prays. Lord, open his eyes. Let him see. So the servant goes back out. He, he's scared, right? But he opens the door a little bit, and he's looking out, and he still sees that Syrian army out there. But what does he see beyond that? God's army, holy angels, bigger, stronger than any earthly army. They were there all the time. But the servant didn't see him until Elijah prayed and asked to open his eyes. Angels are with you when you're out sharing Christ. Pray. Angels will go before you. God will send an army of angels down to protect you and to pave the, the, the path for you. God will do amazing things when we pray. Sometimes, and again, I'll point fingers at myself, sometimes we put God in this tiny little box and we just ask little things from him. And God wants to do so much more. We just have to let him out of the box. And we do that through prayer. Now, as many of you know, three years ago, I can't believe it was three years, but three years ago I had the privilege 
of graduating from the NETS program down at AUC, Northeast Atlantic, Northeast Evangelistic Training School. Unfortunately, the school shut down this year. But I had the privilege of going. Now, um, Brian, will you go to the next slide, please? I don't know if you can see this picture. This is a married couple down in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, Chris and Eliza. Now, when I went to NETS, I was very excited. I couldn't believe the opportunity. I was more excited, I'll be honest with you, about the academic part of it. I really wanted to dig into the Bible, some of the speakers they had coming. I mean, Stephen Bohr. We spent a whole week studying with Stephen Bohr. I mean, what a privilege, right? I was really excited about the academic part of it. I was not so excited about the outreach part. The idea of knocking on doors petrified me, terrified me. But that was a big part of the school. We spent time, we spent a week doing what we called the Jericho Walk, where we prayer walked our territory. We were in Fitch, working with a church in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. And each of us were paired up two by two, and we were given a territory of that city. And we spent seven days prayer walking our territory every day for seven days. But then, and, and we did some role-playing in the classroom, practicing, you know, okay, I'll be the one at the door, you'll be the one knocking, you'll be the silent prayer partner. But then that day came. I was not looking forward to it. Today's the day we're going to go out and knock on doors. Oh, man. I was so scared. I'm being honest with you. I thought I was going to throw up. And I'm a salesman. I talk to people all day long, you know. But the idea of knocking on doors and sharing Jesus or asking for Bible studies, I mean, my knees were probably shaking. I was scared. But we did it. I got paired up with this young man from Ohio, 25 years old. He was a great guy. I loved being out there with him. In the first hour of the first day, we knocked on this door, and this woman, Eliza, answered the door. And we did the survey, and we did the canvas, and we asked her, would you like to do Bible study? We'd like to do a Bible study with you. Yeah, she was pretty excited about it. She took the Bible study. Okay, great. We'll come back next week at this time, and we'll, we'll go over this lesson with you. Okay, great. Look forward to it. Awesome. We go on, finish the rest of the day. I think that was the only one we got that day. Because, yes, you will get doors slammed in your face. You will get people say, get off my property. Don't ever come back here again, blah, blah, blah. But you will find people who will accept the Bible study from you. Now, going back next week is a little bit, mm, because, you see, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will influence them to accept the Bible study. But now the enemy has a whole week to work on them and say, you don't want to do this. You don't want to study with those people. You know what? Why don't you, go, why don't you go shopping when they're supposed to come by? Or why don't you go whatever? Just don't be here. Or if you're there, just don't answer the door. And that happens, unfortunately. But we went to Eliza's door, and guess what? She was waiting for us. She had her Bible on the kitchen table. She couldn't wait for us to get there. Whoa, this is great. So we sit down, we do a Bible study with, us, with her, and it goes awesome. And then... We say, okay, here's next week's lesson. We'll come back next week. Okay, great, awesome. Wow, 
wow, this is going great. Praise the Lord, right? We come back next week, and we're doing the Bible study, and everything's going really good. And then her husband walks in the door. His name's Chris. Now, he walks in the door. He doesn't say anything. Here's these two strange men sitting at the kitchen table doing a Bible study with his wife, and he doesn't say a word. He just walks in, he looks at us, and he walks by, and he goes in the other room. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to go south really fast. He comes out with his Bible. He sits down, he wants to join the study. Praise the Lord, here's another study lesson. This is awesome. We finish that, we give them both a study lesson for next week. We had to change the time to accommodate Chris's schedule. No problem, we'll come back at that time. We come back the third week, and we get there, and there's Chris, Eliza, and Chris's mom. Every week we come, there's somebody new. She was a sweet lady. She was a Christian. I believe she was Baptist, I don't know, but she knew her Bible. She studied her Bible. That Bible was worn from a lot of use. Praise the Lord, right? So she does the study with us. Okay, great. All three say, yep, we'll be, we'll be here next week. Okay, great. Here's three studies for next week. And we go back next week, and I'm thinking, man, who else is going to be here? You know? But the three of them were there. And we're doing, you know, when you first get there, you do a little chit-chat with them. You know, hey, how you doing? How was your week? Blah, blah, blah. Chris's mom threw a question out at us. She said, are you guys Seventh-day Adventists? Now, when you're taught to go door to door, you don't knock on the door and say, hi, I'm from the local Seventh-day Adventist church and I want to do Bible studies. A wall goes right up. It doesn't matter what church. You could say, hi, I'm from the local Catholic church. I want to do Bible studies with you. A wall will go right up. You don't lie about it, but you just don't offer that information. Hi, I'm Doug. This is, um, I forgot his name already. Anyways, this is Dan. Um, you know, we're working with Is Written. It's an international um, religious broadcasting network. Uh, we're doing a sur- quick survey. That's basically how you do it. So she asked, and we're taught, if somebody asks you, don't lie. We ne- we're never going to deceive anybody. So she asked, as a matter of fact, we have one guy in our class, he was so funny. He said, somebody asked him if he was Seventh-day Adventist, and he goes, yeah, but I didn't want to brag. <laughs> so she asked us, are you guys Seventh-day Adventists? And I'm thinking, oh, man, here it goes. And I said, yes, we are. Because she looked at the material, and she looked it up online, and saw it was uh, attached to It Is Written and got familiar with It Is Written as the Seventh, you know. They're actually non, anyways. But she figured out we are Seventh-day Adventists. So we told her, yes. And I'm thinking, again, this is going to go south really fast. And she said, you know what? She goes, I don't care what church you go to. You got my son studying the Bible. I've been trying for 20 years to get him to study that Bible. And you did it. He's studying his Bible. So I don't care what church you go to. Praise the Lord. I'm like, Dodges another bullet, right? We finished the studies. Chris and Eliza attended the evangelistic series we did in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. And the two of them were baptized at the end of the series. And we had the privilege of watching them be baptized into God's kingdom. (coughs) Sorry. I can't tell you how much that meant. If you go to Fitchburg, Massachusetts, 
to the Seventh-day Adventist church, you'll meet Chris and Eliza. You know why? They're extremely active in that church. He's teaching Sabbath school on a regular basis now. She, last time I preached there, I still get invited to preach down there a couple of times a year. Last time I went down there, I think it was last summer, Eliza was on the platform with me. My heart's like, oh, man, love these guys. Can you go to the next slide, please, Brian? You can see that. That's at camp meeting. The woman next to me is, is Alina. She was my desk mate at Nets. We shared a desk. And Alina got hired by Nets when, the, when our class graduated. And she came up to camp meeting with Eliza to promote Nets. This was before the school shut down. And Eliza was telling the story about these two men who came knocking on her door. I was one of them. And she told how that changed her life, that somebody knocked on her door and did Bible studies. So we had that picture taken. I, I love Chris and Eliza so much. They're awesome. There are many more Chris and Elizas out here. There really are. There's so many out there. And I think to myself, what if we never knocked on their door? And I don't take any credit for anything, believe me. I could do everything to fumble everything up, right? It was the Holy Spirit, but they were open. Can you go to the next slide, please, Brian? Sister White wrote, If any man will not work, neither shall he eat, applies to spiritual and religious life as well, as to the earthly, temporal things. Next slide, please. In the book Testimonies of the Church, Volume 9, she writes, In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been sent in the world as watchmen and light bearers to them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. Next slide, please. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's message. There is no other work so great of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. I used as a scripture reading the three angels' message from Revelation 14. I'm not going to break it down verse by verse, word by word. I'm looking at the overall view of it. Three angels. Who are these three angels that are proclaiming these messages? Well, if you look in the Bible dictionary, angel means messenger. So we're not waiting for some heavenly being to come flying through the sky and proclaim these messages. You are the angels in that in that verse. I am the angel in that verse. It is our job to proclaim these messages to the world. Jesus Christ is coming soon. Very soon. And that's the message that we are to proclaim. If you read the book of Acts, the church, the early church was built by the lay people. Now we love our pastors and we're so blessed in this conference to have, and you guys are so blessed to have such an awesome pastor, but it's not up to the pastors to do the work. It's really not. It's our job. Our job. Read the book of Acts. Can you go to the next slide, please? In Desire of Ages, Ellen White said, it is a fatal mistake to suppose that the work of saving souls depends alone on the ordained minister. Next slide, please. 
So why do we do evangelism? Why? Right? Why do we do it? Next slide, please. I'm going to give you seven biblical reasons of what the Bible says of why we do evangelism. Next slide. Whoops. Back up one, please. No, we're going the wrong way. Can we go back up to There we go. Number one, evangelism is heaven's means of building up the body of Christ, which is the church. Acts 2, four, uh, 42 and 47, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, excuse me, and in prayers, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Next slide, please. Number two, biblical evangelism is heaven's way of personal growth, spiritual growth. And he who seeks to give light to others will himself be blessed. There are showers of blessing. He that watereth shall watereth also himself, Proverbs 11.25. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. He doesn't need us to do the work. He really doesn't. God can do this. Like he said, the rocks will cry out. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, who wants a character like Christ? I do. We must share in his work in order to enter into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice. We must participate in his labors for their redemption. Next slide, please, Brian. If we would be saved, at, le at least we must be drawn out of ourselves. And the only way to do this is to become intensely interested in the salvation of others. Next slide, please. Number three, evangelism is heaven's means of unifying the church. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. So how did this happen? These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary and the, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers, Acts 1.14. Next slide, please. Number four. Evangelism is heaven's means of bringing joy to God's heart. Who wants to bring joy to God's heart? I do. We're all familiar with the three parables in, in Luke 15, right? The lost sheep brings joy in heaven. The lost coin, joy in the presence of the angels. Uh, the lost son, make merry and be glad. I want to give joy to God's heart. Evangelism does that. Number five, please. I mean, next slide, please. I'm sorry. Number five, evangelism is heaven's ordained means of finishing God's work on earth. Who wants to see the work finished so we can go home? I do. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Matthew 24, 14. Next slide, please. In visions in the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God. The sick were healed and other miracles were wrought. A spirit of intercession was seen as, even as was manifested before the great day of Pentecost. Next slide, please. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be enlightened with the heavenly influence. Great blessings were received by the true and humble people of God. 
Next slide, please. So what are the results? What are the results of this evangelism? Next slide, please. Number six, evangelism brings life into the church. Who wants life in our church? We all do, right? And the very life of the church depends upon her faithfulness in fulfilling the Lord's commission. To neglect this work is surely to invite spiritual feebleness and decay. Where there is no active labor for others, love wanes and faith grows dim. Next slide, please. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest, harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Next slide, please. And number seven. Evangelism is heaven's means of reaching lost people. There are so many lost people right here in our own town, right here in our neighborhood. Right? Ellen White writes, There are many who are reading the scriptures who cannot understand their true import. All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven. Prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Look at this last sentence. Many are on the verge of the kingdom waiting only to be gathered in. There are many Christianizers right out here on the verge of the kingdom waiting only to be gathered in. In Desire of Ages, she writes, many have gone down to ruin who might have been saved if their neighbors, common men and women, that's us, had put forth personal effort for them. Many are waiting to be personally addressed. In the very family, the neighborhood, the town where we live, there is work for us to do as missionaries for Christ. Next slide, please. Those are seven biblical reasons for us to follow. But that sentence right there, many are on the verge of the kingdom, just waiting to be gathered in. You know, we're told that this is a postmodern, post-Christian era, and that this is the worst area to, to do anything, right? New England is, is supposed to be the most post-Christian era, or post-Christian place, right? But you know what? Light shines brightest in the dark. Light shines brightest in the dark. It's dark out there? Yeah, it is. Bring your light. And we'll light up this world. But thinking about that, how many people are going to a Christless grave every day? And maybe we had an opportunity to share Christ with them. It's pretty solemn when you think about it how important this is. This is life and death. Okay? This is, this is, that's how serious it is. When you ask somebody to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that is a life and death decision you just ask them to make. Because if they choose Jesus, they're choosing life. They have the freedom to not choose, too. That's how much God loves them. And please don't think that you're too old or too feeble to do the work. First of all, God doesn't have a retirement plan, okay? And if you have ailments, I understand that, but guess what? You could be on a hospital bed and sharing Jesus. I'm going to share a quick story about a gentleman that these two people knew very well. When I came into the Rochester church, his name was Carol Lombard. And I came in shortly after his wife, had, I mean, his wife passed away shortly after I came in. Carol took a liking to me. 
We're both salespeople at heart. And he used to have me come to his house and do Bible studies. This man was in his 90s. He was like early 90s or something, right? His body was getting feeble. But his mind, let me tell you, his mind was sharp as a tack, especially when it came to the Word of God. Now, Carol passed away. He got sick. He, he ended up in Frisbee Hospital. I didn't visit him that day. Nobody knew he was dying that day, right? But a friend of mine went there and saw him that morning. And then after he died and we were talking, he said, man, here's Carol. I mean, he doesn't know it's his last day. None of us know, really, when it's our last day, right? But here's Carol being Carol. He loved to share Jesus. He was a coal porter for 40 years, right? He loved to share Jesus. My friend said he was sitting up in the chair. He had that big smile on his face. If you knew Carol Lombard, you knew he always had that big smile on his face. And he was sharing Jesus with anybody that walked by him. A nurse walked by, do you know Jesus? Housekeeping, do you know Jesus? The doctor, do you know Jesus? And then God laid him down that afternoon. And he's at rest, waiting for the resurrection. And I'll tell you what, resurrection morning, I'm looking for Carol Lombard. That man is going to have that huge smile on his face, and we're going to go to heaven. He was mid-90s when he died, I think, something like that. Close to it, yeah. And he was still sharing Jesus. There is no retirement plan. The work never ends. You're in a wheelchair. You're in a hospital bed. You're in, wherever you are, you can share Jesus with somebody. The work never ends. You see, God gave us the Great Commission. Can you go to the next slide, please, Brian? It's found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Our Lord said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And here's the promise. And lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. Next slide, please. That's our commission. We're to go. But he gave us a commandment. Now, again, I don't believe in coincidences with God, but the commandment, you find the commandment before you find the commission. Go to the next slide, please. The commandment is in Matthew 22. The commission was in Matthew 28. It's not a coincidence. Jesus said unto them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Next slide, please. It's not a coincidence that God puts the commandment before the commission. Now, you can, I can teach you to go door to door. You want to knock on doors? I can teach you how to do that. I can teach you how to do Bible studies and to ask certain questions to get certain answers out of people to kind of lead them into making decisions. I can teach you that. I can't teach you to love people. I can't. That has to come between you and the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can teach you to love people. But if you don't love people, then you won't share. You just won't. We all, I bet you, if I ask a show of hands, everybody in here has somebody who's not walking with Christ right now in their life. Maybe it's a family member, parent, siblings, child. Maybe it's a coworker, 
Somebody you love and care about is not walking with Jesus right now. And you pray for them every day, and that's awesome. And you should pray for them every day. But are you crying out for their souls? Are you crying out to God for them? Psalm 126.5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Are you sowing in tears for these people? Are you crying out, God, I'm crying out for their souls. Verse 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoices, bringing in his sheaves. If we're crying out for people, we're going to reap in joy. That's a promise. Now, as I close, I have a couple of um, appeals to make. The first two, I want you to just, between you and the Holy Spirit, make this decision. If there's somebody here today who's never accepted Jesus, never totally surrendered to Jesus, you love Jesus, but you've never totally, you've always held back. Maybe, I don't care, maybe you've been in church 20 years, but you've always held something back and have it totally surrendered. I'm inviting you to make that decision today. Pray to God about it. You're a Christian. You love Jesus. You've committed your life. Recommit it today. Paul said, I die daily. It's a daily walk. You know, like the, the children's story, every day is a new day. Every day is a new day to surrender our lives to Jesus. So do it again. And my third appeal, I'm inviting you to claim your town, or your city in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to take a stand. I'm taking a stand. I stood up one day in my prayer, and I said, Lord, I am claiming Rochester, New Hampshire for you. The enemy has run amok too long in this town. I live here, Lord. I'm claiming this city in your name. I want you to do that. I want you to make that decision to do that. Claim Laconia, Belmont, all the towns around, wherever you live. Claim that town in the name of Jesus Christ. If that's your desire today, I invite you to stand. If you want to claim your town, your city, in the name of Jesus Christ, take a stand right now. Praise the Lord. Let there be a revival. You know, every, every morning on the prayer line at 707, we join the world church in praying for revival and reformation. Let there be a revival and let it begin with me. Let it begin with each one of us. I'd like to have a special word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, you see the, your children taking a stand. Father, each one of us is claiming our hometown in your name. The enemy's run amok too long. We're claiming our town. We're claiming our homes in your name, Lord. Your army is more powerful. And we're praying for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We're praying for your army to come and lead the way, Lord. Each one of us has taken a stand in your name. And we praise your holy name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Next slide, please. Oh, 
Have you had enough of churchianity yet? Have you warmed the pews long enough? That's a question you can answer to yourself. Next slide, please. I want you to go out and I want you to share Jesus today, even with just one person. Happy Sabbath. God bless. And I forgot what our closing song is. Huh? 373? Thank you. Oh, yeah. I knew the song. I just didn't know the number. Shall we stand as we sing? Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to do the work that you want us to do, Lord. Father, each one of us wants to be used by you. Each one of us wants to proclaim our town, our city, in your name, Lord. Please be with each one of the saints here today, Lord. Oh, Father, 
We just want to follow you. We want to follow the Lamb wherever he leads. Father, we know that there are Chris and Eliza's out here on the verge of the kingdom just waiting to be gathered in. I pray that we reach out and gather them in, Lord, through your Holy Spirit and to your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.